Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Zelensky slams NATO statement on Ukraine. So NATO leaders issued a communique on Tuesday at the end of the first day of the alliance's summit in Vilnius that dealt with the issue of Ukraine's future membership. The communique said NATO would waive the member action plan for Ukraine, which requires reforms to meet certain requirements that that the, the alliance wants. And each membership action plan is tailored to, you know, the country that is applying to join. So waiving this would speed up Ukraine's membership if it is ever invited to join the alliance. But Kiev was not given any new commitment on when that might happen. The communique had very vague language when it came to, you know, when Ukraine might be invited to join NATO. It read, quote, we will be in a position to extend an invitation to Ukraine to join the alliance when allies agree and conditions are met, end quote. So they're still saying reforms need to be made. So kind of waving this map and still saying that there must be reforms, that they have to work towards these conditions, these vague conditions, you know, it tells me that uh, it's not a, you know, waving this map doesn't really mean that much. And as the communique was being drafted, you know, uh, throughout the day, there were reports saying, you know, what, to expect in this communique and Zelensky was, uh, you know, knew what was coming and he went after uh, NATO for, uh, you know, not giving him what he wanted, which was uh, either, you know, an invitation to join NATO or a commitment that once the war ends, Ukraine can join NATO because they didn't give that either. So Zelensky wrote on Twitter, quote, I would like to emphasize that this wording is about the invitation to become NATO member not about Ukraine's membership. It's unprecedented and absurd when time frame is not set neither for the invitation nor for Ukraine's membership, while at the same time vague wording about conditions is added, even for inviting Ukraine, end quote. So as we know, Ukraine was first promised that it would eventually become a NATO member at a 2008 summit in Bucharest, despite the issue being a major red line for Russia, but Kiev's never gotten a timeline on membership, and they still have not gotten that. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg insisted that the commitments made to Ukraine on Tuesday were a strong package. The alliance agreed to form a new NATO-Ukraine council to advance political dialogue, engage cooperation, and things like that. And according to a NATO press release, allies also agreed to a new multi-year assistance program to facilitate the transition of the Ukrainian armed forces from Soviet era to NATO standards and help rebuild Ukraine's security and defense sector. So, you know, I think we're going to see individual commitments from certain countries announcing, you know, kind of long-term military aid. I think that's expected on Wednesday. I know the G7 countries are planning something like that, but we didn't see, you know, exactly a concrete thing from NATO itself. But to Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials, you know, they were demanding a clear timeline. So these commitments that NATO announced 
Tuesday. You know, they're not happy with them. They say they're coming up short. And Zelensky previously threatened to boycott the summit if he did not get what he wanted, but he ended up attending anyway. And he said that Ukraine expects to receive more commitments related to military aid during the second day of the summit on Wednesday. He's holding meetings with several leaders from different countries. And again, I think he is going to get commitments from individual countries. And, you know, President Biden did suggest the Israel model for Ukraine. But in that CNN interview where he said that, he said, if there's a peace deal, if there's a ceasefire. So that sounds like the U.S. is not willing to sign any kind of long term agreement right now. But it's Biden. So who knows? Because he also said they didn't want to waive this membership action plan when he was asked about it. But they ended up agreeing to that. Um, so that, you know, Zelensky walks away pretty unhappy after this first day in Vilnius. So the next one here, the White House says that Ukraine joining NATO means war with Russia. So this is the White House kind of defending their position. The White House said Tuesday that NATO membership for Ukraine is not going to happen anytime soon since it would mean war with Russia. This is National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. He told CNN, quote, of course, they are at war right now, so NATO membership in the immediate future isn't likely because that would put NATO at war with Russia, end quote. President Biden made similar comments a few days ago, and a direct war between NATO and Russia could quickly escalate into a nuclear conflict. We would be risking you know, nuclear annihilation. The countries with, you know, the U.S. has a little less than 6,000 nukes. Russia has just a, a little more than 6,000. So countries with thousands of thousands of nukes in a nuclear exchange, you know, it's not good. It's the worst thing we could really imagine. But despite that, and despite what Ukrainian membership would mean, as the White House is saying, there are ultra hawks in Washington that are pushing for Ukraine to join the alliance. And one of them, unsurprisingly, is Senator Lindsey Graham. He wrote on Twitter uh, last week, Quote, I will be working with Republicans and Democrats in the Senate to pass a resolution urging the admission of Ukraine into NATO, end quote. So Graham claimed that an overwhelming majority of senators supported this proposition, but his idea faced backlash from some Republicans, you know, the ones that have been good on Ukraine. And there's no sign right now that any kind of proposal like that is moving forward. Uh, John Kirby also said that Ukraine would need to make more reforms before joining NATO, signaling that even if the war ended soon, which unfortunately it doesn't seem like it will, but even if that did happen, Kiev would have a long way to go before becoming a member. Kirby said, quote, now there's some reforms, good governance, rule of law, political forms that Ukraine needs to work on, end quote. So even, you know, again, waiving that membership action plan doesn't seem like it really means much. And I do think it's really incredible that they're saying Ukraine needs all these reforms, but they've sent, you know, over $40 billion in military equipment for Ukraine with virtually no oversight. And they've also sent them tens of billions of dollars in what they call direct budgetary aid, which is money that they just hand directly to the Ukrainian government. You know, they don't do that for any other NATO country, and but they're saying, you know, they don't need reforms for all that aid, but they need reforms to join NATO. So Kirby's comments came uh, during this Vilnius summit. And so while the Biden administration does not plan to bring Ukraine into NATO anytime soon, it's also not looking to de-escalate tensions with Russia. It plans to continue 
uh, to escalate military aid for Ukraine and shows no interest in diplomacy, you know, even though they have this stance on Ukraine, Ukrainian entry into NATO, which is a realistic one. It doesn't mean that they're not that they're, you know, looking to back down or anything like that anytime soon. Um, all right. So the next one here, NATO countries to start training Ukrainian pilots on F-16s in August. So 11 NATO members agreed on Tuesday to start training Ukrainian pilots on U.S. made F-16s in Europe this August. And this is the first step toward getting the American made fighter jets to, to the war zone in Ukraine. So the training will begin in Denmark and will also be held in Romania once a support station is established in the country. The first Ukrainian pilots are expected to complete their training by early next year. I remember a few weeks ago, I, I had a story that Denmark said they started the training, but I don't think it, it looks like it hasn't actually officially started yet. And so they're shooting for August. Denmark and the Netherlands are leading the program and the other countries involved include Britain, Belgium, Canada, uh, Luxembourg, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, and Sweden. So I guess actually Sweden technically is an, a NATO member. So it's 10 countries plus Sweden, but Sweden will be a NATO member soon. Uh, the Netherlands, Denmark, and Belgium are all expected to supply Ukraine with F-16s, but they have yet to make a final commitment. So we don't know how many they're getting yet. President Biden has given the green light for European countries to deliver F-16s, and the U.S. has also not ruled out sending their own to Ukraine. So we might see the U.S. in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing's still going on you know, toward the end of the year, the U.S. saying that they're going to start shipping F-16s over there. Um, and this really just shows, you know, this was agreed to at this summit in Vilnius. It just shows the escalations of NATO involvement in the war since last year since the beginning of this, since when Russia first invaded. The thing I always point to in March 2022, Poland has, or they had, MiG-29 Soviet fighter jets that the Ukrainian Air Force uses. And in March 2022, they said, let's send them over there. But the U.S. said no, and NATO officials said at the time that they were worried Russia would view NATO providing fighter jets as the alliance directly entering the war. But now, over a year after that, Poland has sent its MiG-29s, and so has Slovakia, and now these F-16s will eventually be on the way. Just a major escalation, you know, giving Ukraine a modern air force. It's a huge amount of support for a country. All right, the next one here, France to provide Ukraine with long-range cruise missiles. So we did see some you know, individual countries make some commitments on Tuesday, and this article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. French President Emmanuel Macron announced that Paris will join London in providing long-range cruise missiles to Kiev. So Macron said that in view of the situation and the Ukrainian counteroffensive, he has decided to deliver you know, increased military aid and that they will give what he's calling long-range strike missiles to Ukraine. So Paris will send Kiev the Scalp air-launched long-range cruise missile, um, which has about the same range as the storm shadow missiles that the British have provided, uh, which is a range of over 150 miles. And these also are air launched so they could be fired by Ukraine's uh, fighter jets. So uh, just another escalation, you know, the British started sending these. So now you're having more NATO countries follow. That seems to be a pattern as well. Once one country does it, 
you know, the rest fall in line, even the ones that were previously warning against these things like Germany and France. All right, the next one here, Blinken defends cluster bombs for Ukraine. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Tuesday defended the Biden administration's decision to arm Ukraine with widely banned cluster munitions, which have a devastating impact on civilians. So the U.S. is providing Ukraine with cluster munitions in the form of 155 millimeter artillery shells. Blinken said that without the cluster bombs, Ukraine would be defenseless because the U.S. and NATO are running out of regular ammunition. So this is really something. I mean, I'm going to read this quote, and he basically sounds like Ukraine and NATO and the U.S. are very desperate to keep this war going, and they're, you know, they're hanging on by a thread here. So this is what he said. This was at an interview. He was at the summit. This is on the sidelines of the NATO summit. Blinken said, quote, the stockpiles around the world and in Ukraine of the regular munitions, not the cluster munitions, were running low, about to be depleted. If we didn't do it, we don't do it, then they will run out of ammunition. If they run out of ammunition, they will be defenseless, end quote. So Blinken's comments are a candid admission that the U.S. and NATO policy of backing Ukraine against Russia might not be sustainable. He claimed that cluster munitions will fill the gap while the U.S. and its allies ramp up the production of other artillery ammunition. And how I understand it, at the rate Ukraine is using ammunition, it's going to take a few years for them to really make more shells than Ukraine is using. I mean, Stoltenberg has said, you know, this was earlier this year, but he was saying Ukraine was using ammunition at a much higher rate than the entire 30 uh, now 31 member alliance can produce. So this is going to take a while. I believe the U.S. has millions of these cluster shells that they can send. They say hundreds of thousands are at the dud rate that they want to send, but I think they have millions. So if they keep reaching into these stockpiles and sending cluster bombs, it could last a long time. And then, you know, if they use millions, I mean, if they use 100,000 of these things, that that it, that could leave a million of these little cluster bomblets you know, unexploded in Ukraine. So again, it just sounds, seems very desperate. I'm surprised that he's being this candid about the situation here. Um, and as we've, you know, I've been covering it a lot. Again, the, the risk with cluster munitions is that they spread these little bomblets over a large area and a lot of them don't explode. And that leaves a hazard for civilians who may come across them. And during this interview, it was pointed out to Blinken that Ukraine would be dealing with the impact of cluster munitions for as long as the countries in Southeast Asia are, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, which are still dealing with them today from the Vietnam War. Blinken claimed that it's already the case because Russia has used them. So this is the attitude. Oh, if Russia's used them, you know, what's the big deal if Ukraine uses them? Well, Ukraine has already been using them in the war, as Human Rights Watch has documented. And Human Rights Watch has also compiled evidence of Russia's use of cluster bombs in Ukraine, although on Tuesday, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu claimed that Russian forces have not used them. He said, quote, realizing the threat that such ammunition poses to the civilian population, Russia has refrained from using them in the special operation, end quote. So Shoigu made that claim when warning that Russia will start using cluster munitions in response to the U.S. providing them to Ukraine. He said, quote, if the United States supplies cluster munitions to Ukraine, the Russian armed forces will be forced to use similar weapons against the Ukrainian armed forces 
As a response, it should be noted that Russia has cluster munitions in service, so to speak, for all occasions, end quote. So now it sounds like, you know, if Russia has been using them, they're going to be using them a lot more. And it could mean that in these artillery battles that they have, which I don't think is the case now that Russia's using them, you know, kind of on the front line there. But if it's both of them just firing these cluster munitions back and forth, I mean, it's just going to be a disaster. You know, Ukraine is going to be uh, in just such bad shape. So, you know, it's just crazy to me, this logic that they have that, oh, they're already being used. There's a lot of landmines, too. So we're, they're going to have to clean it up. So we might as well just throw some more cluster bombs on top of this this mess. Um, I just can't believe what they're doing with this. And uh, actually, if you go on our blog, I just posted there's a petition uh, organized by Just Foreign Policy. They're a great lobbying group in D.C. And it is a petition to tell your uh, member of Congress to block the provision of cluster bombs to Ukraine. And if you sign it, you know, you put in your zip code and then it sends a letter to your representative telling them cluster bombs are banned. They're going to kill kids in Ukraine, uh, you know, like they have done in places like Laos. So go check that out. Go sign that petition. I hope uh, I'm not sure what the situation is right now with that amendment to the NDAA to block the cluster bombs. Uh, I believe it could be voted on as early as Wednesday and there's more co-sponsors. So it seems like there's more of a chance for it to get a vote. We'll see how it does. Again, the Biden administration could already be shipping these things in there because of just the way that they're giving this to Ukraine. So but I think it's good to make some noise about this because it's just so evil on the face of it, you know, and it is creating this, you know, the Biden administration is finally getting criticized by Democrats for, for its Ukraine policy because it's doing something so obviously wrong that I think we should kind of make as much noise as we can. All right. The next one here, White House looks to prevent oversight of Ukraine aid. Look at that. Uh, this is from Kyle Anzalone again at the Libertarian Institute. So the Biden administration has come out in opposition to Congress creating an inspector general's office to oversee weapons transfers to the Ukrainian government. So the NDAA includes a provision that will create an inspector general for the proxy war in Ukraine, modeled after the special inspector general for Afghan reconstruction. So this is the House version of the NDAA, and I believe it was Matt Gates that included this amendment, but the White House is trying to get it out. Um, because they don't want more oversight for this policy. And it's interesting because the Inspector General for Afghanistan, John Sopko, he's been very critical of the U.S. policy in Ukraine, saying that, you, you know, you're bound to have waste, <clears throat> excuse me, waste and corruption when you're sending this much money into a country, into a war zone. So the U.S., the Biden administration definitely does not want that added pressure and criticism. <coughs> excuse me. All right, the next one here, U.S. to move forward with F-16 sale to Turkey. So National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Tuesday that the Biden administration will move forward with a $20 billion sale of Lockheed Martin-made F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. Sullivan's comments came a day after Turkey's President Erdogan agreed to back Sweden's NATO bid after over a year of negotiations. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that Erdogan would submit Sweden's NATO bid to Turkey's parliament for approval. So Sullivan insisted that the F-16 sale to Turkey and the issue of Sweden's NATO bid were not related, but it's very clear that they are. President Biden actually said so basically himself. 
uh, back in May after he spoke with Erdogan on the phone. Biden said after that conversation, quote, he still wants to work on something on the F-16s. I told him we wanted to deal with Sweden. So let's get that done. And then we'll be back in touch with one another, end quote. So, I mean, Biden just said it right there that they were hanging this uh, F-16 deal over Turkey's head to get them to approve Sweden's membership. And members of Congress, I think, have said that outright as well. And U.S. officials also previously told the Wall Street Journal that Congress would not approve the F-16 deal until Turkey supported both Sweden and Finland's entry into NATO. So Sullivan still, and I saw Blinken as well in his interview, claiming that, oh, they don't, these, this doesn't have anything to do with each other, but it's very clear that it does. All right, the next one here, NATO leaders slam China for Russia ties. So this article is from the South China Morning Post, and it is about what NATO had to say about China during this uh, summit on Tuesday and in the joint communique. So NATO issued its strongest rebuke of China to date on Tuesday, lashing out at its coercive policies and deepening strategic partnership with Russia. So in the joint communique agreed by the military alliance's 31 member states, it addressed Beijing at length, accusing it of opaquely building up its military power, amplifying Russia's false narrative on the war in Ukraine, and using its economic might to create strategic dependencies and enhance its influence. So it's pretty scathing, the things that they're saying about China. And Stoltenberg had his own things to say about Taiwan that were not in the communique because I have a feeling France wouldn't have wanted that, but France did go along with the, the other things. So Stoltenberg said at a press conference, quote, China is increasingly challenging the rules-based international order, refusing to condemn Russia's war against Ukraine, threatening Taiwan and carrying out substantial military buildup End quote. So it's amazing that NATO is criticizing China for a military buildup while NATO is undergoing its largest military buildup since it existed. And I mean, it's just absurd. And, th and they have their eyes on, on the Asia Pacific. And of course, the U.S. is really building up militarily near China in the Philippines, in Taiwan as well, in Australia, Papua New Guinea now. So just the fact that they're accusing China of that or, or criticizing them for it. I mean, it just how are they how are we supposed to take that seriously? Um so that's the situation with NATO and China. But it's interesting that the South China Morning Post calls it, you know, NATO's strongest rebuke yet of China. All right. So the last story here, U.S. says that Iran is not trying to make a nuclear bomb. So a new U.S. intelligence report has reaffirmed that Iran is not trying to build nuclear weapons, despite constant claims made by Israel and Western media outlets to the contrary. So the, an unclassified summary of the report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence read, quote, Iran is not currently undertaking the key nuclear weapons development activities that would be necessary to produce a testable nuclear device, end quote. The report noted that Iran has taken steps to increase uranium enrichment. Uh, Iran has been enriching some uranium at 60%, and it took that step in 2021 in response to an Israeli attack on the Natanz nuclear facility in Iran. So Israeli pressure and attacks have only increased Iran's nuclear activity. Uh, but 90% enrichment is needed for we weapons-grade uranium, and there's no sign that Tehran is looking to bring enrichment to that level. 
The DNI report said that Iran was enriching uranium beyond the limits imposed by the 2015 nuclear deal, known as the JCPOA. But those limits are not relevant. You know, you'll see the way the media covers this. They say Iran is violating the JCPOA. But the limits are relevant because the U.S. withdrew from the JCPOA in 2018 by reimposing sanctions. At the, and after the U.S. withdrew, Iran waited one year before it started slowly, uh, you know, building up more uh, enriched uranium. But for a while, it, it kept enrichment at the rate, which under the JCPOA is 3.67%, uh, which is pretty low. Uh, so last year, the Pentagon's nuclear posture review also concluded that Iran was not developing nuclear weapons. Israel has been threatening to attack Iran over its nuclear program, although recently the government of uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has scaled back its rhetoric a bit on the issue. And, you know, this is amid these reports that the U.S. and Iran have been holding indirect negotiations, although I, I haven't heard about that for a little while now. So that's not too, uh, so, you know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're really going to reach a deal. But it was uh, noteworthy, I thought, on June 30th, Netanyahu's national security advisor said that Israel was not getting closer to bombing Iran because the Iranians stopped for what, for uh, enriching uranium to the level that Israel considers a red line. Iran didn't change anything. Israel is just kind of toning down its rhetoric, uh, which I thought was interesting. So that's the situation. No bombs in Iran. There are nuclear bombs in Israel, though, that nobody ever uh, seems to talk about. <laughs> um, but that's it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have a good one from John V. Walsh. Arming Taiwan is an insane provocation. One from William J. Astore, reprinted from his Substack cluster munitions for Ukraine. One from Ted Galen Carpenter at the Libertarian Institute. Paul Krugman's World War II is a propagandist fairy tale. One from Sheldon Richmond, good news on free speech for now about that court ruling. And our spotlight is from Eli Clifton at Responsible Statecraft. Ukraine in NATO, War Inc. knows a great deal when it sees one. And also go check out our blog. Again, we have that petition there. Uh, we have Conflicts of Interest, which is Kyle Anzalone's great show. Uh, I appeared on Talk World Radio, which is David Swanson's show. David Swanson is a great anti-war activist, so it was awesome to talk to him. We talked about Elliot Abrams and some other things. Um, but yeah, so there's always a lot of stuff to see at antiwar.com, even if you listen to this show. Uh, but that's it for me for today. Again, go sign that petition. Uh, you can always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Comment if you sign the petition or if you call your uh, representative or email them. Let me know in the comments. You know, let's give each other some inspiration here. <laughs> but that's it. I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.